Now turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read again the first nine verses. Philippians chapter 4. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Remember, this is a very practical, pastoral section of Paul's letter, full of general exhortations for the people of God, as we have seen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech ye, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 9, and we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It reads as follows, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And my theme today is entitled, Winning the Battle for the Mind. Throughout Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we have numerous references to the mind. God's people have been exhorted in chapter 2, verse 5, to have the mind of Christ. Every believer was informed that the enemies of the cross, chapter 3, verse 19, mind earthly things. Eodius and Syntyche were exhorted to be of the same mind in the Lord. And even a very careful reading of chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, brings home the message that we're not to allow our minds to be taken up or to overcome with sinful anxieties or sinful worries. And if you look very carefully at chapter 4, verse 7, mention is made of keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the word keep is very instructive. It's very significant. I want you to think of a soldier on guard duty, young people. 
His duty is one of protection, say, at the gate of the camp. He stands guard because the gate or the camp is open to some sort of threat or attack. And without a guard and duty, the enemy could approach. He could walk in through the gate. He could enter the compound unawares. And if the enemy approaches, he could overpower the guard or the guards. And then he could destroy everything that the guard is supposed to protect. So when Paul used the words, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, he was thinking about the need to protect or the need to guard or to garrison our hearts and minds. The Apostle Paul knew that the heart and mind of true believers are constantly and daily at great risk. There's a battle going on for our hearts and minds. The Christians thought life is important. Remember, it is our thought life that forms the basis of our words and our actions. It was the atheist, Mark Twain, who stated, our thought life comprises a major part of who we are. The great Jonathan Edwards wrote, the ideas and images in man's mind are the invisible powers that govern them. Now it's vital, I believe it's crucial that we understand this. Every believer's thought life is a constant battleground. And our thought life must be brought into submission to the gospel. Our thought life must be brought into submission to our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as we live out the gospel, we must learn to think biblically about every aspect of our lives. The devil has a plan. The devil has a strategy to destroy the minds of God's people. And as I've said before, wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Right thinking leads to right living. It's the devil who wants to fill our hearts and minds with lesser things, the things of the world, the things of time and sense. And if the devil can fill our mind with ungodly thoughts through uh, eye gate, and we meditate on those things and allow those ungodly thoughts to control our lifestyle, then the devil has secured a great victory over us. And I talk in the Government and Morals Committee about the explosion of pornography today on television. We think of the displays of blatant homosexuality, drunkenness, the drug culture, the pop music, the sexual gratification of many outside the context of marriage, the internet games where there's killing and stealing and the thought is of who is the strongest to overcome the uh, weakest. And you see the mind, not only the mind of individuals, but the mind of young people is constantly being bombarded. A thousand and one ungodly, sinful things. And if we add into the mix, if the devil can fill our mind also, not only with ungodly thoughts, but wrong thoughts about God, 
about the Lord Jesus Christ, about heaven, about hell, about the Bible. If he can distract us to be overcome with uh, sinful anxieties about things, even good things, even legitimate things. If he can get us to doubt and to despair and to the point of discouragement. If he could get us to mix a bit of truth and error and give a veneer of respectability even to uh, heresy. Then he is securing a great victory over us. You see, it's a fact this morning, and I want you to recognize, not only is the thought life of the Christian important, and why? Because our thought life affects and determines our behavior, but it's also a fact that the devil is attacking the mind. The heart and the mind of the true believer is under constant attack. And Paul knew it. And he knew that the devil was and is behind all evil, false, immoral thinking. He he knew that wrong thinking leads to wrong living. He was aware there's a battle going on for our minds. And it's a spiritual battle. The true believer is not to be thoughtless. He's not to be superficial in his or her thinking. The true believer is not to be self-absorbed in things that are political, things financial, things economical, and fail to meditate on God and his precious word. You see, we have to be instructed. And I gave you last week, from Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, God's antidote for worry. We're not to be full of sinful anxiety. We're to carry everything to the Lord in prayer and experience the peace of God because the peace of God will garrison or keep or protect our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now look with me at verse 8. Finally, brethren, it's not the end of the letter as we can see. It's not the last thing he's going to say. Why does he use the word finally, brethren? Well, he's connecting what he said previously. If we keep it in the context, practicing or living out verse 8 is essential to maintain unity in the church. It's essential as we labor for Christ. A Christian's thought life is also integral to the life of joy in the Lord. A Christian's thought life is necessary to avoid being sinfully anxious. A good and proper thought life forms the basis of our behavior. A godly thought life is essential as we live out the gospel, as we experience and know Christ. The Apostle Paul was well aware of this. Many believers in Philippi were experiencing and facing many perplexing problems. Life for them was hard and difficult. Life was complex. Is life hard and difficult for you? Is life complex for you? Well, listen to what Paul says. He has a way to overcome. A way to win the battle of the mind. The true Christian is to think. He is to think deliberately, daily, and consciously upon Christ. He is to focus his heart and mind in him. He's really calling for deliberate, daily, constant spiritual meditation in Christ. And that's what verse 8 is all about. Could I repeat that? He is calling for a deliberate, daily, 
constant spiritual meditation in Christ. And if you can grasp that, you're in the road to victory and the road to overcoming. Winning the battle of the mind, here's how. Deliberate, daily, constant spiritual meditation in Christ. And that's what verse 8 is all about. And that's why he says, finally, brethren. I want you to think of three things very quickly. The importance of winning the battle. See, every true born-again believer is to give his heart and mind to biblical and spiritual meditation in Christ. Look at the end of verse 8. Think on these things. The word think means to reckon, to ponder, to consider, to reflect, or to meditate. These words that I'm using are all synonyms for the word to think. Literally, we are to exercise on our minds, not only in the truth of who God is, not only the revelation of God in the Bible, but we are to exercise our minds on the person and work of Christ. Paul mentions here six things, six special qualities. Now, now we'll come back to them. But these six things are of tremendous worth. These six things ultimately find their fulfillment and fullness in Jesus Christ. Let's read them together. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. So, so there's the six things. And where do they find their fulfillment? Where do they find their fullness? The answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know if you turn over there to Psalm 1, a psalm that we often sing by way of praise and worship in this house, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The word blessed means, oh, the happiness. And you think, well, happiness is characterized by being positive and upbeat. But if you look at the scriptures... Happy is the man that walketh not. And he's dealing here with the negatives. He's telling us what the godly, truly happy man doesn't do. As he lives out his life, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He rejects their advice. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. So he's characterized by a negative. To be truly happy, here's what he doesn't do. And then look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here's what he does do. Here's the secret of true happiness. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates, he, he muses, he, he thinks, he ponders. And he does it day and night. As he lives out his life. As some of the commentators point out, the truly happy and godly man in the world who lived like that is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. God's man is characterized by what he doesn't do first and then what he does do. Spiritual meditation is a vital part of the Christian life. 
And here in Philippians 4 and 8, Paul commands us to think on these six qualities. And as we do so, I want you to think of the godly man, and I want you to think of Christ. For all of these six qualities are and find their embodiment in him. They are reflected in him. Now that is what Paul is teaching here. And it's important that we understand that if we're going to win the battle of the mind. Now I want to tell you what Paul is not teaching. Paul is not teaching, listen to me carefully, the power of positive thinking. The power of positive thinking was an idea popularized by a man called Norman Vincent Peale and his successor, Robert Schuller. The power of positive thinking is a false teaching. It's not Christian. It's not biblical. It's not orthodox. In fact, it's false. Why? What's wrong with it? It teaches that it's wrong to be negative. It's wrong to be critical. I want to ask this, are there negatives in the Bible as well as positive things? And the answer is yes. And the Lord Jesus gave out many negatives in his life and ministry. So did the Apostle Paul. He was often negative and often critical of things that were going on, especially in the life and witness of the church. And in their practical teaching and, and, and in their, their, their preaching of the word of God, they had to criticize and they had to be negative and they had to call for repentance of this sin or that sin. Do you know that this power of positive thinking has been embraced by the health and wealth churches? the name and claim it churches with a thing called positive confession. Now listen to me carefully. Whatever you confess by faith with your mouth, God must do it. The attitude is that there's power in faith itself. So if you're sick, you must not give out a negative confession by admitting, I'm sick. Rather, you claim your healing, how? By saying, I, I'm not sick, I'm well. That, that's called positive confession. It's the idea of having a positive mental attitude that you'll never entertain a negative thought because that's foreign to the Christian life. All this positive self-talk, have faith in yourself, it's visualized that you can be successful, you can be wealthy, you can be a millionaire, and, and that will become a reality. Now, all these are errors. They're based in the heresy of the science of the mind. It was originally taught by Mary Baker Eder in the Christian science movement and popularized again by a man called Ernest Holmes founder of the Church of Religious Science. In other words, if I put it this way, use your mind to create the reality. And, and, and the thought is that, that um, thinking positive, you can 
do or achieve anything that you want. And Philippians 4 and 8 is used to, to, to put that forward. It's quoted as support. And I want to tell you this morning it's wrong. It's heretical. In fact, it's satanic. It appeals to the flesh. It promotes self. It rejects the doctrine of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you want to read more about it, find a book called Seduction of Christianity by a man called Dave Hunt. And he deals with these errors. So I want you to understand, and I've given you the positive first, what the teaching is. The teaching is constantly, daily, exercise your mind by, by focusing on Christ, by, by thinking of him. And I've told you what it's not teaching. It's nothing to do with the power of positive thinking or positive confession or positive self-worth or positive thought. Notice, secondly, the ingredients of willing the battle. As the Christian's thought life is focused on Christ, therefore it will also be focused on the great truths of the Bible. Let's, let's look at the text. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. The, the reference is true as to fact. It denotes the actuality of a thing. It, it corresponds to the reality. Do you know this morning that God is true? God himself is the only final test of truth. God is eternal and infinite and unchangeable in his being. Why? Because God is true. The moral standards of his word are true. They stem from his holy nature. Look with me, for example, at John chapter 3, verse 3. Sorry, John 3, verse 33. Listen to what's written. John 3 and 33. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. In John chapter 8, verse 26, we read the words. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. And over there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 3 and in the verse 4, we, we read something else. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4. Listen to the word of God. God forbid. Yea, let God be true. But every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be just, justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Wasn't it the Lord Jesus that said, I am the truth? You see, Satan's his liar. Satan's the father of lies. He's a deceiver of the brethren. He's an accuser. And we're prone to Satan's lies and prone to Satan's deception. And the only way to counteract that is to know that God is true and to know the truth as, as revealed in God himself and in his son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Scriptures, and, and, and walk in that truth. We've got to walk in step with the word of God. We've got to steep ourselves in the word of God. Isn't that what Psalm 1 verse 2 is all about? The godly man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves the scriptures. There's true spiritual meditation. There's musing on the word of God. There's centering his mind on who God is and what God is like and what God has done. We have to reject the 
so-called false tolerance of today. We, we refuse to accept everything. We refuse to go with the flow. Why? Because there's things in the Bible that God says are sinful, things that are an abomination, things that are wrong, and God is true. So we have to think on whatsoever things are true. And ultimately, truth is found in God. God is true. Do you see that this morning? Notice something else. Whatsoever things are honest, the word means whatsoever things inspires, whatsoever things are reverential, things that are dignified, things that are wholly worthy of respect. Whenever I think about life, we must take life seriously, don't we? Life is not a joke. I said one time ago in the wee schoolhouse that life is not a rehearsal. We only live it once. We live it before God. And it's God that has given us our health, our strength, the ability to breathe, the ability to be mobile. And therefore we take it seriously. Whatsoever things are honest. Everything that's worthy of respect everything that's dignified, that, that inspires things that are to be treated with reverence and awe. Notice this, whatsoever things are right. Sorry, whatsoever things are just. The, the reference here is to right and wrong. It links to the need to practice right living, to, to practice righteousness. If you turn over there to John's Gospel, or sorry, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, and look with me at verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 3. Listen to what the Bible says there. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Do, do, do you see that? Whatsoever things are just. And, and, and that is a reference to, to what is right and wrong. We practice righteousness because we realize that ultimately God is just. To practice sin habitually is of the devil. And we've got to remember that what flows out of the human heart that the Lord Jesus told us there in Mark's gospel in chapter 7, he made a tremendous statement he told us there in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And we're called to think in things that are just. 
And one of the things that we recognize as we live out our lives, oh, we recognize what sin is. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Then he goes on to say, whatsoever things are pure. That's a reference to, to moral and spiritual purity. Isn't it important that we abstain from immorality? Abstain from impurity? Isn't it important that we abstain from idolatry? There's to be no cursing or swearing among God's people. There's to be no filthy, impure talk. Why? Because we're to think in whatsoever things are pure. Notice this word, whatsoever things are lovely. This is the only reference to the word lovely in the New Testament. It has to do with what's pleasing, agreeable, or attractive. And of course, there's nothing attractive about sin, young people. There's nothing attractive about evil and wickedness. I think of Christ. Remember I said it relates to Christ, ultimately finds their fulfillment in him. Whatsoever things are lovely, well, well, who's the most loveliest person in the whole of the world? Well, it's not me. But the Bible says of Christ in Song of Solomon chapter 5, Yea, this is the bride's description of her husband. Yea, he is altogether lovely. She was taken up with him. She was burning with white hot emotion when asked what he's like. She says he's altogether lovely. Not just lovely, but altogether lovely. Notice these words, whatsoever things are of good report. Good report means to speak well of something. I've given you a good report about the ladies in the supper in Friday night. I summed it up in one word, perfection. And it has to do with enjoying a good reputation. Whatsoever things are of good report. Do you know that a Christian should refuse an evil report about a brother or a sister until there's evidence to support that? Now, now here's six items, six ingredients, and they all find their fulfillment in Christ. And these ingredients are the things that we're to think about. The things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. And he says, if there be any virtue, notice that at verse 8. And if there be any praise, the word virtue has to do with excellence. The word praise, God is worthy of our praise. Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. Worthy as the lamb, the Bible says, who was slain. God's people are worthy of praise. Let's think of how great God is, how good, how gracious God is. And he says, if there be any virtue, any excellence in the world, anything worthy of praise, then think on these things. Deliberately, consciously, daily, have spiritual meditation on these things that find their fulfillment in Christ. That's the ingredients for winning the battle. Notice the instruction on how to win the battle. If we're to think in these things, then we need to have the mind of Christ through conversion. Have you saw yourself as a sinner, dead in trespasses and sin? Have you saw your mind darkened and alienated from God through wicked works? Have you had defections that that are diseased because you have no thought or, or regard for God or the things of God? About your soul, your precious immortal soul. Remember Jesus said, what should it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The most important thing you have, young person, is your soul. And in order to win the battle of the mind, you need the mind of Christ. And that only comes about through conversion. 
through coming to personal faith in Christ, asking Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Have you been born again? Was there a day, a time in your life when you bowed the knee and asked Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior? You'll never win the battle of the mind unless Christ is your Lord and Savior. Do you know and love Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior this morning? Also, you need to block out every sinful thought. Someone has said the food that enters the mind is just as important as the food that enters the body. What do you feed your mind with? Do you feed it with sensuality, immoral, impure things? Do do you feed it with greed? Do you feed the mind with cruel language? Do you feed the mind with murder and, 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 and violence and hatred and love of self and pride? You imagine this morning, young people, just with me for a moment. You, you want to have a bath. And here's a mud hole. We'll pretend you're out in Africa. You want to have a bath. And here's a mud hole. And you're, you're asking the African chief, well, well, I would like to get washed. Where would I go? And he points you to the mud hole. And, and you, you look at that and you think, well, if, if I'm dirty before I go in, I'm going to be dirty after I come out. Because think of cleaning yourself in a mud hole. You're not going to do it. You've got to come out of the mud hole and apply clean water and soap and so on and so forth. And and, and it's the same with our mind. You're not going to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ if you're filling your mind with, 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 with that which is unclean. There needs to be discipline. And you need to control the TV. You need to control the internet. You need to control the the video games. You need to control the music and the magazines. And and you need to control... um, all that comes into your mind because if you pollute your mind and and, and you're tempted by your uh, thought life um, the only way to avoid it and get rid of it is is, is to be disciplined to, to make a decision I'm going to block out every sinful thing every sinful thought that comes into my mind could I suggest as well you need to read the word of God remember the godly man but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law that's another name for the scriptures. Doth he meditate day and night? And that means he, he reads the Bible, he studies it, he begins to think. We need to meditate on the scriptures. We need to read good Christian biographies. Think of the teaching of good godly men, their example down the ages. C.H. Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle. Um, Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, John, you know, I I was in a bookshop on Friday looking for some writing material, uh, Sammy and I, and we were walking about Waterstone and Easton's looking for the cheapest, of course, and and there's loads of people in buying books, and I'm thinking, you know, there's loads of people give themselves to reading, Uh, but what are they reading? They're not reading the scriptures in this shop. They're filling their mind with all the the things of the day, whether it's the Harry Potter books or whatever it is. I was thinking, but we need to read good Christian men. And then, of course, you need to listen to good music. When I travel with Sammy in the car, I'm listening to Willie McRae and Catherine Mitchell and whatever. And I I have now a CD in my car as well of the um, Reformation choir and the hymns that they're singing. Could I finish this morning with a little story? Over in the town of Illinois, 
that's somewhere in America. Now, don't ask me uh, which state it's in. Is it the state of Illinois? Is, is that a real state? But, but this is a story about a lady called Garbage Mary. And this woman lived among the garbage. So when she was hungry, instead of going to the fridge and getting something out or going to McDonald's, she went into the bin. And if you had left something over, she, she, she brought it out. And uh, she was picking up fag ends of people that had dropped them. And she was borrowing money from this one and sitting begging on the street. And um, it, it got to the point where they were very concerned about um, Garbage Mary. And, and the authorities brought her in. Uh, for um, to to speak to her, and social services were involved, and they were very concerned about the state of her mental health. And whenever they went to the house that she owned, they discovered that she was actually the daughter of a wealthy millionaire, and she had access to millions of pounds through her father's wealth in the bank. And I just thought of that. And isn't that the way many of us, myself included, live? We, we, we live because our thought life is bombarded and affected by all the garbage of this world. And we fail to think on the things that belong to our Heavenly Father. There's a battle for our minds. A wee Indian man was asked. He talked about a black dog and a white dog. Fighting for control of his mind. And someone asked him, which one wins? And this is what he said, the one that I feed the most. And you know, if we have the mind of Christ in conversion, and we begin to block out sinful thoughts that bombard our mind, and we read daily the scriptures and meditate on that, and take a verse, I'm not saying read a chapter, but take a verse. And, and, and if we read good biographies and be influenced by the lifestyle of good godly men and good godly women, Amy Carmichael and Mary Slessor and a host of other great missionaries, and, and, and we, we fill our mind with good Christian music, then I believe that we'll be educated as believers. I believe we'll be refocused as believers. And I believe we'll be enabled as believers. To live out the gospel before man. Now here's an important message this morning. The importance of winning the battle. We can only do it by focusing ultimately in Christ. And here's the ingredients we use. These six qualities that find their fulfillment in him. Through the scriptures as God has revealed. And here's the instruction. You need to be saved. You need Christ. We need to be disciplined in blocking out sinful thoughts. We need to read the scriptures. We need to listen to good music, the biographies of good men. If we're going to be educated. If we're going to be refocused. And if we're going to be enabled to live out the gospel. I trust this morning that we will win the battle for the mind. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you today.